The latest on Evgeny Kuznetsov, Martin Faravari, and Dmitry Orlov next on this edition of Locked On Capitals. Your Locked On Capitals, your daily podcast on the Washington Capitals. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello and welcome into this edition of Locked On Capitals. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. As always, this podcast is free and available on all the major platforms. And I want to thank you for making this your first listen or view of the day. Yes, this podcast is also available in video form, so head on over to YouTube and check it out. My name is Dan Holney. You can find me on Twitter. It's at DanCaps218. You can find the show on Twitter. It's at LockedOnCaps. So in this edition of Locked On Capitals, we talk about what do the Capitals do about Dmitry Orlov? Do they try to bring him back to this team? We'll talk about that in the show. Then a little bit later, we will talk about Martin Faravari. And what is the latest with him? I was told that he was given a qualifying offer. What does that mean for the future of Faravari on this team? And then the latest on Evgeny Kuznetsov. It's been said that he will most likely be on the Capitals next season. What does that mean for Evgeny and the Capitals? In today's episode, I am joined by Justin Trudell of Nova Caps, and I talk to him next. How it is Mac's job to make uh, an assessment on Kuznetsov and Mantha's contract. We talked a little bit about that in the previous segment. Uh, Taking a look at Kuznetsov, you know, for me, I, I, I would almost be willing to entertain the idea of let's see if Kuznetsov can play better under Spencer Carberry. I think, you know, he has the potential of being a really great player and we have seen flashes of that before. Uh, Do you think that's a good idea at the end of the day? Because there's just so money, uh, you know, involved in this contract anyway. Do you think they should try to give him another look under Spencer Carberry? Yeah, I think to me, it's just like for one, one, on one hand, it's, you know, the market for Kuznetsov isn't going to be very strong. Like we're probably looking at like probably middling draft picks. I would say like you might get a first from a very desperate team for a center, might get a second prospect, something like that, where it's like that doesn't help the team right now, especially with like a retool with making the playoffs again next season in mind. Uh, So to me, I think the safer play is probably just letting Kuznetsov play and see how he does. I mean, last time there was a lot of noise around Kuznetsov. He followed up with a really strong season. So it's like, if Kuznetsov actually wants to be in D.C., then, like, he'll probably play better. But if not, then, you know, we'll probably hear about it. But I think, like, he kind of sort of dispelled your trade request. Um, I think a lot of times what it probably came down to is I don't think he meshed well with LaViolette. Uh, he, he, He talked about, like, all the time he spent, you know, breaking out videos with him. And he was just like, you know, I don't know what to do <laughs> kind of thing. Where it's like, there's probably a little too much going in there. I think Kuznetsov is a player that really thrives in like that freewheeling kind of offense where you can create. So I think like potentially with Carberry coming in, there might be a little more chemistry there. There might just be, you know, a chance for Kuznetsov to redeem himself as like, you know, top 15 center in the NHL. Um, and I think like selling on a player like that that could turn around and make the trade look terrible immediately 
is not really the kind of move you want to make as a GM, just because like, unless you're getting back a player that can contribute immediately and you know, it's going to score your goals and get assists, then like, to me, it doesn't make sense to make the trade. I think like when you get down to that point, it's like, okay, well, we only have so much money, but we still need to sign Martin Fairberry. What do you look at in terms of like, okay, well, there's one contract on the team you have to move at that point, and that's Mantha. So if you're going to get better in the top six, that's probably the only path if you keep Kuznetsov, just because like there's no other money to move elsewhere. Like you're not going to um, you know, look down the lineup. I mean, unless Baxham decides to hang up the skates or go on you know, long-term injury reserve as like a retired player but still getting paid like i don't i probably see that as the lowest possibility i think Baxham's going to come back but that's the money there that you're kind of looking at like okay well if we need to get better this is the player we need to address so one of the interesting things i had heard on nhl radio is the possibility of kuznetsov going to nashville uh just because there is a rapport with now gm barry trotz in nashville and the more I thought about it, I'm like, that kind of makes sense. Of, I mean, if he ultimately wanted to play in Nashville, what were your, what are your thoughts on Kuzi playing with the Preds? I mean, I think it makes sense. Like, obviously, some of the best years for Kuznetsov were under trot. So, like, they do have that rapport for sure. But it's like, what do you get back in return from the Predators? That makes it make sense. I mean, well, there's like, one guy I can think of in particular, but. <laughs> yeah, that, let's, I mean, let's, let's, let's write that wrong once and for all. George I mean, I would, would sign off trade. on that. <laughs> yeah, I would make that trade. Uh, but the, like, you're looking at, like, if you're trading Kuznetsov, you have to get a center back, I think. It's just, like, one of those things where it's like, okay, we traded, you know, arguably, like, 1A, 1B center. Strom, I think, is probably going to be the first line center moving forward here for a bit. But you're looking at a player like Kuznetsov that fills that role, who's an elite playmaker when he wants to be. Um, and he can score goals, too, when he wants to. So it's, like, one of those things where it's like, when he wants to be a great player, he can be a great player. That's just the hardest thing for me. But like, if you're trading him to Nashville, like, who's that player that comes back? Like, a Ryan Johansson to me doesn't move the needle. No. Matt Duchesne, like, he's played more wing than center at times, and you know he's getting up there too, and he's on a longer term deal. So it's yeah. like one of those things. Like, I think you lose net cap space with a Duchesne trade and a Johansson trade. So it's like those kind of things. It's like. Sure, like it would make sense for Kuznetsov, but I don't think it would make sense for the Capitals. So you had spoke about earlier there that you don't believe that uh, Nick Backstrom will hang up the skates. Um, you know, an interesting thing is what kind of Nick Backstrom are we going to get next year? Uh, I was reading a piece about it that the Caps are paying a lot of money for what could potentially be a third line center. Uh, Touche. You know, I don't remember exactly where I read that, but that is a good point. You know, you take a look at, you know, Strom, who seems to really be kind of knocking it out of the park on the top line there. Where does Backstrom fit into this team now that he is not, you know, at least what we saw last year? If he's that same Backstrom next year, where does he fit in with this lineup? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's definitely third line center if he comes back and plays just because like, Yes, his skill set's a little more top six, but I think in terms of deployments and time and time on ice, like you have to limit that a bit for five on five play. Like obviously you can be, you know, on the first power play unit or whatever. But I think at this point in his career, if we see, you know, the backstrom from last season, third line center is probably where he's gonna have to play. Um I think if it if it wasn't a player of his stature in the organization, he probably wouldn't play. But 
I think for the most part, it's like Backstrom wants to go on his own terms. And I think like this is the kind of scenario where he's looking at like his day to day life. He's pain free now. And like maybe that, you know, that offseason does make a difference. I'm not sure how much of a difference that makes. I kind of feel the same way as McClellan. It's just like this surgery has so little precedence in the NHL and the other players that have gotten the surgery in Kessler and uh, Jovo Cup. Um, they haven't played like Kessler didn't play another NHL game after his hip, double hip resurfacing surgery. And then Jovanovsky played um, like 17 games or something like that after that, and then was bought out by the Panthers and then retired. So it's like Backstrom's already the the longest term player with the surgery to play. So it's like, does that extra off season, like obviously coming into the middle of the season with very little conditioning in terms of like on ice play is tough. Like, not a lot of players, especially at his age, are going to be able to come in and play like at a very high level. But I think, you know, for a player like Backstrom, who's never been fast, like he's never been a fleet footed skater, like flyer on the ice. He's always been like a cool calculated. I'm going to slow the play down and make a play. He could still be effective. I think to me, it's just like, does he feel comfortable on the ice with a little more time in the off season to really build up his strength again? Uh, so, I mean, I like there's some, kind of hint of optimism there but also like if he's the player he was last season like that's not necessarily making your team better and one of the things that I had heard uh, Tarek El-Bashir talking about on the Jeff Merrick show is that you know a lot of these things kind of have to go through Ovi you know Ovi's not the GM but you know he is a really big piece on this team and that he he was talking about and we'll talk about Orloff a little bit later here about he how he kind of scoffed at Dimitri Orloff getting traded out to Boston he wasn't exactly thrilled about it being that those guys vacation together and they have quite a, a long-standing relationship together got to think that Ovi might kind of balk a little bit about moving Backstrom. I don't know if he could ultimately make it stop, but you know, you don't really want to, to irritate Alex Ovechkin either. Where does Ovi factor into all this? Because one of the things that I heard is that, um, you know, Ovechkin doesn't want to be hands on, you know, like you're telling me everything that's going on, but he does want to be kept abreast of what decisions you are making. He doesn't want to be the decision maker, but you got to think if they said, Hey, Alex, we're thinking about moving on from one of the guys that's assisted on more of your goals than anyone, Nick Backstrom, what are your thoughts on it? You know, he might have a, a different opinion on it. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, obviously they've been playing together for, you know, what, 16 years at this point, something like that. Like, there's a you know a long time relationship there. Obviously, they were kind of like the one two punch for the Capitals through the Young Gun era. Like, there's there's going to be a lot of pushback, I think, from from Ovechkin if they kind of like, hey, we're thinking about you know doing something with Backstrom, whether trading his contract or uh, potentially buying him out, which would save you some money, but <clears throat> not a yeah. ton. Year one it would save you money. Year two, probably not. Um, you know, you're kind of looking at it like, yes, you kind of have to keep Ovechkin happy just because of like who he is in the organization. Like, what can we say? You know, the Capitals hockey would be without Ovechkin in its history. Right. Probably not a ton, right? So it's like, it's one of those things where it's going to be a tough decision. And I think like the easy way out for McClellan is make, letting Backstrom make his decision. So if, it's, if Backstrom comes back from working out, he's like, I just, I just don't have it, and mm-hmm. hang up the skates, like. I don't think it's going to be a pure retire move. I think it would be just like, I'll go in LTIR, I'll still get paid, and I'll be around the team. Um, but I think for the most part, like the idea of him just like straight up retiring and forfeiting, you know, all that money he has left on his contract is not going to happen. Like, and I'm sure that if he did make the decision, the Capitals would take care of him. But 
to me, it's like with Ovechkin, you kind of have to make sure he's on board. I mean, you know, being the you know franchise player aside and probably being the best player in Capitals history, like he's also the captain of the team. He's, you know, a cornerstone for the franchise. So it's like he needs to be abreast of the of the situations there, especially where he's you know at in his career. Like he wants to win again. He wants to break the goals record. Like there's there's things there and he wants to be like around his friends when he does it too. So I think like I don't blame him for being upset when Orlov is traded just because like, you know, he's a good friend, he's a good player, like how do you like, and he wants to make the playoffs. So like they at that point when they decided to sell the deadline, like I'm sure Ovechkin wasn't happy about it because he wants to make the playoffs, but you make the play, you don't make the playoffs and you don't sell then this team's in a worse situation than it was, uh, especially now. But yeah, you know, I think he understands, but he also has more of a emotional kind of tie to these guys. So I think that's kind of like the biggest piece there. Yeah, and what I had heard uh, Tarek talk about is he finally came around when he found out the return that they were getting a first-round pick that we know that we flipped and we ended up getting a Rasmus Sandin for it. So I just think that, you know, he was kind of grumbling, not too happy about it, but you got to think that if it was someone like Backstrom, he might be like, hey, guys, what are you doing here? All right, so coming up after the break, we will talk about the latest with Martin Faravari and the Caps Blue Line. We'll talk about that straight ahead. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right, so the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part fits right the first time. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know if the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game. And when you shop at eBay Motors with over 122 million parts to choose from, You'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back into this edition of Locked On Capitals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. After today's show, be sure to check out Locked On NHL's 2023 NHL Mock Draft Special. The local hosts of the Locked On NHL channel have made their picks, and hosts Gil Martin and Haiti Kalakash break down every selection over a three-day mock draft event. Find the episodes on Locked On NHL or YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so one of the other things on your list here was Martin Faravari. We know that he's a restricted free agent, but I still think it would serve the Caps well to take care of Martin sooner than later. Uh, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I think um, what you're probably looking at just like at the cap situation is probably a bridge contract. I would say probably two years. Um Evolving Hockey does uh, contract projections that are pretty pretty accurate. Obviously, have some outliers, but for the most part, they're pretty much in the like threshold of standard deviations. They said like two uh, two years, around like two point five, two point eight million a year. And I think like for a player that's going to play in your top four, like that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially with his like improvement year over year. I think he's kind of showing to be responsible defensively with some offensive upside. So it's like. 
there's something there and i think the caps want to hold on to him for sure i think it's just more of a case of like okay this is the money we have right now like and he's the type of player you do a bridge contract with because like he's not gonna like in two years he's not gonna be a norse defenseman right like you're not gonna be like looking at going from like a 2.5 million dollar cap hit to an 8 million dollar cap hit because of that so you're not really like running into any risk by giving him a bridge contract whereas like if you if the buffalo sabers were to give tage thompson a two-year contract before he had like the year he had his breakout and then now he's like a 50 goal scorer. Like <laughs> that would be a lot more of a dire situation than locking him up when they knew he was he was special and getting him on a long-term deal going that route. And they did the same with Dylan Cousins. So it's like the type of player that you lock up to long-term deals as a restricted free agents are the like top end players. And then you really just get like the, you know, solid contributors on short-term deals to manage the cap and then get them, you know, a raise or their trade candidate at the end of it. So it's like one of those things where it's like from the roster management standpoint, like he's obviously going to fit in in the top, the top four at this point, it's just the way that the defense is shaking out. But you know, that like two and a half million dollar cap hit would be, I think pretty attractive to the capitals in terms of getting a top four defenseman for that price. Cause in free agency, it's not happening. Yeah. Cause I mean, they, if you take a look at it, they took care of Alexia. So I just hope they do the right thing and they just don't wait too long here. Yeah, I was I was actually pretty surprised that Alexiev came that fast just because he was the seventh defenseman for the rest of the season just because of the I I hate the waiver rule for players in their entry level contracts regardless of age just because like he's on his entry level deal and he can't be sent down to the AHL which is probably best for his development at that point during the season and then he could be brought up after the deadline but not being able to go down to the AHL without being exposed to waivers. It was just like, it, it was a huge disservice to Alexiev. And obviously from like the NHL PA standpoint, that's a good thing just because like, if he did get a put on waivers, he'd get a chance to play somewhere else. Right. So that's right. like one of those things where it's like, oh, he's not playing here. He's going to be put on waivers and they want to keep him in the AHL, but he can go play for the NHL team somewhere else. So it's like one of those things where it's like, it's better for the players as a whole, but it's not as good for the player in particular, Alexiev. So this wasn't included in my regular, you know, what I was going to talk about here originally, but Lucas Johansson is a guy kind of like uh, in the on the blue line there. Where does he fit in here? We always hear that it is going to be his year next year, kind of like we've heard about with Alexiev, but Alexiev seems to kind of be working his way into the lineup. Where does Lucas Johansson, in your estimation, fit in with the Caps' long-term plans? I'm not sure he does, just because, like, at this point, it's been years since he's been drafted. He hasn't really broken out at a really like high level in the AHL where you can be really comfortable putting him in like top six role um, for the defenseman. So I think for the most part, like he's probably a player that the team keeps around for organizational depth if he wants to be here. But I think for the most part, he's probably peaked at like a potential seventh defenseman for an NHL team, just because injuries, I think have really taken a toll on his like career ceiling and he never really got that development to be like an NHL regular. So to me, it's like maybe he can go to another team and find a little more success. But I think with the capitals as they stand right now on the left side, especially with three 23 year olds in front of them, like your opportunities for entering the lineup are pretty small. So to me, it's like, he's probably a call up if there's injuries on the left side, and that would make sense. But I think like in terms of like where he is on the depth chart, I think there's, you know, Sandine, Fairberry, um, Alexiev, and then um, Hardy Hakel, who they just signed is probably in front of him now too. So it's like, 
at this point, they're probably looking at Johansson's like, okay, we made a bad pick, but he's still a decent player to have around for the AHL team. And then you got Vincent Iorio that's in that lineup there too, another younger guy uh, that, you know, could potentially be, you know, like a call-up or something next year in, you know, brief flashes that we saw him on the team. I was pretty impressed, I got to to say, and he's a real positive guy. So I think the Caps' blue line um, is going to be pretty good for years to come here. They just got some talent that's kind of marinating down in Hershey there. All right, so after the break, we will talk about what do the Capitals do about Dmitry Orloff? Should they try to bring him back to this team? We'll talk about that straight ahead. All right, welcome back into this edition of Locked On Capitals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So let's talk next about Dmitry Orlov. Uh, it was a tough thing for me when they moved, traded him out of here. I followed his career ever since, you know, he started with the Caps. So it was a tough thing. A great two-way defenseman. Uh, he's really good with the the hip check. That's one of the, the sudden subtle skills that if you can pull those off really well, he can do them really well. And I've seen him do a couple of those, but he he can score goals. He's a good two-way defenseman. Uh, as we know that it was Garnet Hathaway and Dmitry Orlov got sent out to Boston in return. We got Craig Smith and some draft picks taking a look back on this. You know, we are pretty far removed from that taking place. Was that the right move to make? And uh, do you think the cap should do, uh, you know, move mountains to get Dmitry Orloff back to this team? Or is that just retreading a tire? So I think um, what the capitals are missing on the defensive side, like I think it's a solid group right now for looking at all six, but also if you're looking at it from the standpoint of like, to get over the hump and get back into the playoffs and potentially make a run is, is the defensive group strong enough where you can look at it and be like, yes, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure. I think we need to see Alexia make that next step for me to be really confident in that. So to me, it's like, I think the only way you bring back an Orlov is if he's willing to take a pay cut basically. Um, and for a player that's, you know, I think he's 31. Um, this is his last real chance at a long-term high cap hit deal. In the, and I think it, I saw um, a free agent list that had Orlov as number one in terms of unrestricted free agents across the board. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get deals. So the only way the Capitals are going to be able to sign him is if they have they've cleared a bunch of cap space and brought and bring him in for you know relatively meager sum for Orlov. But if you're looking at this defensive group, I think like Orlov is the player that's kind of missing from this group just because like the type of player he is. He's not just you know defensive defenseman he's not just an offensive defenseman he's one of those rare defensemen that are both are good at both ends so it's like you have a player that can do it all play in all situations and be a significant contributor with top pairing defensemen uh, so to me it's like orlov would be great i don't think i i mean i also a huge fan of orlov i was sad when they traded him but ultimately when we're looking at the trade in general i think it was the right move just because like you know, you did get that first round pick that you turned into Rasmus Sandin, who's going to be with the team for you know a number of years at this point. Um, you can also get a future pick, a future second round pick that you can also use in trades. Um, so th- I think there's some pieces here where it's like we can use some of this capital to build the team for right now, which is the Sandin acquisition, and then potentially even saving the other future draft picks for just you know filling out the prospect pipeline because you can still get 
good players in the second and third round. So I think for the most part, it's like that was a good trade from like the organizational roster management standpoint in terms of both the NHL roster and the future AHL roster. But yeah, it was tough. I mean, like both Hathaway and Orloff were kind of like fan favorites too. So it's like one of those things where it's like that's that was the big signal of like, okay, the Caps are going to be aggressive in this retool and really try to build again and try to get into the playoffs. And I think to me, it's like, if you're going to retool, the most important thing is identifying your next core. Because like you have teams like, I mean, Tampa's extremely proficient in drafting to really get to their um, kind of like next core. Um, and then also a trade um, with Ben Bishop to get Eric Chernak. But like you look at Tampa's like next core of Braden Point, who's arguably a part of their core now, but he's young enough where he's like the next core player after Kucherov and Sam Coast move on. But like Sorelli, Point, Sergachev, um, Hagel, like those types of players where it's like these are your kind of like next level core players. Um, that's like kind of where the Capitals need to get to. But at this point, like you look at the roster and how many vets are on contract for you know more than just this season, there's not a lot of spots to play with in terms of like, especially the third and fourth line. I think the third and fourth line are pretty much all but decided at this point. So the top six is like the one area where you can make any change. And unless the Capitals like, somehow have uh, Matt Vimichkov fall to them at eight and he immediately wants to come over. Like you're probably looking at a trade there. So it's just one of those things where it's like the main goal is upgrading the top six. So Orlov doesn't really fall in, but if there was an opportunity to really bring him in for a, a good price and he wanted to be here, that'd be amazing. I don't think it's likely, but that would, yeah, I'd be really happy with that. I think if the caps are in a playoff spot come the trade deadline, then that would be the time to add a defenseman to the trade deadline. They're not quite as expensive unless you're getting a top-end defenseman, but I think the Caps need like probably a second or third pairing defenseman if they were at that point. Just based off what we know of Alexia right now, I think you can make strides and be a solid third pairing defenseman, but that might be the one thing that you could do to get your team over the top at the deadline. Yeah, because one of the things I had heard is that Boston does not want to sign him to a new deal, which is kind of interesting. You take a look at uh, the Boston Bruins on paper. I think a lot of people are ready to etch their name in the side of the Stanley Cup, but they got eliminated right away. So sometimes you can go out and make big moves and you can have the, your best record ever. One of the, I think it was the best record in the NHL, if memory serves. And sometimes that really doesn't mean anything when, you know, there's kind of like this outlier team like the Florida Panthers, which let's face it, no one cares about the Panthers except now that they're in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I remember a couple of years ago when they panned the audience there or the crowd there and there was, you know, empty seats everywhere. But now now everyone's drinking that Panther Kool-Aid. Um, so I think that's the same thing with the Capitals. I think that they need to kind of get back into their winning ways here. Because if you take a look at it, uh, this city, this team is used to winning on a consistent basis. Um, do you think the Capitals will be competitive next season uh, if they do make some, I guess it's a little bit early to say, can, you know, we don't know what moves are going to take place. You know, everything that I'm hearing is that there's going to be a lot of fireworks this off season, most notably uh, during free agency. And once the Stanley cup concludes here, uh, do you see the caps being competitive just from what you know, right now, you know, just based on the faith that, you know, Mac is going to go out there and do some really big things. I think from my standpoint, the way I look at McClellan is he has his flaws. Like he's made some, like some pretty bad trades, um, but they're typically like play, moving players out, not moving players in that are bad moves. It's like shipping out Chandler Stevenson or Jared Siegenthaler kind of moves. Where it's like, yeah. Those kind of rub you the wrong way a bit. But I think when you look at McClellan's track record as GM of the Capitals is 
when he has an objective, he's aggressive in meeting it. Like the biggest example to me, I think there's there's two, is when he came in as GM after uh, George McPhee was fired, he immediately went out and signed Brooks Orpik and Matt Niskanen in free agency because the defensive group was always a weakness of the Capitals in their young guns era. Like you had Mike Green, obviously he was great, but then like you had your other top defenseman being Jeff Schultz. So it's like, you're looking at that, like, okay, the defense is our strength. Let's address it. We have all the offense we need right now. Let, let's get that. Like those two shut down defensemen. Um, the other is going out and acquiring TJ Oshie, especially in like the arms race with the Penguins. The Penguins just went out and got Phil Kessel, like, let's let's try to match that with a TJ Oshie. Um, and I think that trade was absolute robbery, by the way. Um, there was nothing of value given up in that and ended up getting Phoenix Copley back anyway in that trade. So it was like one of those things where it's like he can make moves and I think he'll be aggressive in doing so as long as it makes sense cap-wise. So I think like if we're looking at in terms of like overall optimism, I'm optimistic about the moves he's going to make. But yeah, I think at this point, like the way the roster stands – today it's not going to be any better than last season but with more additions to the lineup especially you know top six right wing i think is the biggest need um especially a goal scoring top right wing you need someone that can score goals the right side of the ice was just barren for the capital scoring at five on five this past season so it's like you need a player that can score there and i think you get a player that can score 30 goals you're probably in a lot better shape and that finishing rate should help and then Potentially, like you have two first lines basically with Kuznetsov and Strom kind of interchanging. Uh, but I think for the most part, like they should be competitive. The East is going to be a bloodbath again next season. Um, you know, I mean, you're looking at the Sabres are on the upswing, the Senators are on the upswing. It wouldn't surprise me if all if five teams from the Atlantic made the playoffs next season just because of the way that the balance of that division is going. Just because like you have Boston, I think they'll still be fine. Um, you have Toronto. You have um, Ottawa, you have Florida, and you have Tampa. So it's like those are five really solid teams. And then at the end of the day, like two really good teams out of the Metro are going to miss the playoffs, I would expect. Um, or maybe one of each if you know, it ends up being a lot more upswing in the, in the Metro. But to me, it's, it's going to be an ultra-competitive Eastern Conference again, and you have to be competitive uh, if you're going to want to make the playoffs. But – it's also one of those scenarios where it's like, if you're not competitive next season, I don't think we're looking at another retool. We're looking at a rebuild. So right. this is probably like the, I would call it the last dance. If you don't make it, it's going to be the end of, you know, the competitive era for the capitals and probably looking more like, okay, let's build for the future. Let's be really good in four years. Uh, so I think it's probably what we're looking at is it's all or nothing. All right, so the last big thing we'll talk about here is the draft coming up. We know the Caps have the eighth pick overall. Uh, as we all hear, he's probably not going to be an NHL-ready player, whoever they choose right away. Um, but then you take a look at Ivan Mirishnashenko, which we thought was going to be a ways out, and then he terminated his contract with the KHL. And as he's kind of aiming here, it looks like he might be with Hershey next year. So maybe he will be contributing to the big team, the Capitals, sooner than later. Who is your favorite to should the Capitals draft and where will that potential player fit in? And how long do you think it'll be before that player is ready to help this Caps team? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because like you're you're top 10 pick, like you do have a good chance of getting a player that's NHL ready. 
Um, you know, if, if some players are like, oh, he's not really NHL ready, then he comes to camp and really wows the team and ends up making the team. Um, I think from the standpoint of just like a good player that could be you know, like a year or two out, it's probably Ryan Leonard, just because of like his really just he's just a force on the ice. Like he's a smaller guy, but he's like very physical. He can play both ends of the ice. He can score. He can defend. All that good stuff. So I think he's probably the most realistic candidate. Eight. I think there is going to be a fall for Mitchkov because I think he's he's arguably you know the second best player in this draft yes. or third best player in this draft. I think he was really like firmly top three leading up to this season, um, and I think it's mostly because of the kind of like unknown quantities around Russian Russian prospects right now, mm-hmm. and that, that's just not just the KHL, but it's also with the war in Ukraine and the. Um, They've held back prospects before, you know, had them enlist them, the uh, military kind of things like that, where it's like they're just kind of ushering control over them. So it's like, does Ovechkin's relationship with Russia help that? And, you know, if Mitchkov does fall to eight, like that would be amazing. But yeah. probably, you know, I think he's signed a long term deal in the KHL. So it's like there's there's a lot of risk there. And of all the teams in the NHL that could probably get him out of that, it's the Capitals. But the ceiling on the player so high that there's probably a team in front of the caps that would take him. So to me, it's like, if you don't love the prospect you can get at eight, then I would explore moving. It is an exciting thing to think about. If you think about it, they're saying he's the best uh, guy to come out of Russia since Ovechkin and Evgeny Malkin. So, I mean, the ceiling and what potentially could be would be really huge. My fear is, is that, of course, he gets picked, you know, before the Capitals. And then you hear a lot of uh, different names out there, Dvorsky as well, uh, you know. But ultimately, I don't know if the Caps will get that lucky. But, you know, if you take a look at even last season, I don't think that they thought they were going to get uh, Ivan Mirishnyshenko. There was just a lot of people that were kind of hesitant based on his health but as it turns out the caps in ross mahoney they got good guys looking at it they checked out his medicals and as it turns out as long as things continue uh he could be helping this caps team sooner than later listen justin i want to thank you for joining us on this edition of locked on capitals tell everyone where we can find your work yes yeah, so i write for nova caps so you can visit our content at novacapsfans.com uh follow on twitter is nova caps um and Instagram the same. And then you can find me on Twitter at StateTrue20. All right, Justin, thanks for joining us on this edition of Locked on Capitals. All right, I want to thank you for joining me on this edition of Locked on Capitals. And are you a fan of other GC sports? Well, Locked on has got you covered. We have Locked on Nationals. We have Locked on Commanders and Locked on Wizards. So no matter what major GC sport. Locked On has got you covered. And being that you're listening to a Capitals podcast, you are a fan of the NHL, make sure and head on over to Locked On NHL as they have you covered all summer long when it comes to all the comings and goings with the NHL. So make sure and check out Locked On NHL wherever you find your podcasts and on YouTube. All right, once again, I want to thank you for joining me on this edition of Locked On Capitals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Dan Holmey, and I'll talk to you again next time.